Hey, um, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this last week's been a little snowy. I don't know if you noticed. Um, you did. You noticed it, didn't you? Although I'm really impressed by this crowd right here. Thank you for, this, for the church. You braved the weather today. Um, I often make fun of Oregonians for the way they drive in the snow because I lived in Minneapolis for a while. Um, but you guys, I stand corrected today. Uh, although most of us missed Ash Wednesday this past week. I don't know if you know this, we had an Ash Wednesday service and because it was snowy, not a lot of people were able to get here. Um, and yet, I don't want us to miss Lent. Lent is the season that prepares us for Easter. Easter, of course, celebrates the victory of Jesus over sin and death. And Lent reminds us why that victory is so important. Lent is a time for us to remember our own mortality and our sinfulness and why it is that Christ's victory over the grave matters so much to us. And so... Um, just because we missed Ash Wednesday, let's not miss, miss Lent. This morning, around the room on the, the tables, the communion tables, we have a little like one-sheet guide to Lent, and then also a basket with some, some bracelets, some black bracelets. One of the traditions of Lent that kind of goes back centuries is followers of Jesus will often give up something in their lives. This is an attempt to sort of change the rhythm of your life, the pattern of your life, the kind of liturgies of your life, take something out to make space for God, to sort of realize, oh, maybe I've just sort of been kind of functioning on my own apart from Jesus. And so the little one-sheet guide will help you kind of think through if that's something you want to do this year. And then the black bracelet just reminds you that it's the Lenten season. It also might remind you, hey, I'm... I'm taking this out of my life to put more of Jesus in it. So if you want to grab one of those on your way out today, please do. I'll encourage you to do that. We can kind of prepare for Easter together. Um, all right, let's get into our, our series, our, our message today. We're continuing our series in Moses. Actually, we're starting a new series in Moses. We finished part one of Moses. Today, we're starting part two called Lessons in the Wilderness because in the same way that Lent mirrors 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, we're going to spend Lent with the Israelites in the wilderness. And I want to start our journey a little bit differently today. I want to start with some self-evaluation. And so the goal of this exercise is for all of us to look honestly at ourselves, at our lives, and to ask, what are God's biggest rivals in my life? What competes with God for my highest devotion? What most in this world wants to steal my time, energy, and resources to take my attention away from God? What am I, what am I tempted to turn to to get my needs met instead of God? My emotional needs, my spiritual needs, my relational needs. You see, the question this morning um, is really about idols, what are the hidden idols in our lives? Things that we're tempted to worship without ever saying or knowing or even believing that we are worshiping them. And so here's how it's gonna work. I'm gonna put a list of categories up on the screen. You see them there. Money and possessions, success, intelligence, attractiveness, a relationship, pleasure of some kind, acceptance or popularity, work, family or kids. Sometimes idols aren't things we typically think are idols. Church, reputation, and I put other up there in case you think of one that I, I don't. And now I'm going to ask some questions. 
And if you have a phone, you can use your phone to keep track, or if you have a pen and paper, you can do that. Or you can also feel free to just kind of keep track in your mind. That'll, that'll probably work as well. But I'm gonna give you a little eight question quiz. Ready? And you don't have to answer out loud. This is just between you and God for now. Okay, here we go. And I said for now, and now you're panicked. No, you're not gonna have to turn to a neighbor and share or pass papers to the right. No, we're not doing that. Okay, here we go. Question one. Which of these do I find myself thinking about the most? Which of these occupy my mind most often? Because our idols are often what we tend to daydream or think about a lot. Which of these do you think about the most? Okay, question two. Which of these do you most fear losing? Maybe there's a sense of, I'm not sure what I would do if I lost this, fill in the blank. Which, which ones tempt you to feel this way? Because our idols will often convince us that we need them. Number three, which of these most give me a sense of identity? Because I have this or I am that, I'm somebody, I matter, I have value, I feel significant. See, our idols will want to define us. Which of these most gives you a sense of identity? Number four, which of these do I most look to for a sense of security? The more you have it, the more safe you feel, the less prone to worry you are because idols often produce a temporal sense of security in us. Just kind of put a little check mark next to the ones that apply there. Number five, which of these do I most want to be known for? If truth be told, I'm happy or proud when people find this out about me. You see, idols offer us a sense of importance. Number six, which ones of these most cause my emotions to go up and down? Makes me happiest when I have lots of it, makes me saddest when it's threatened. My mood is maybe tied to this particular thing because, friends, idols always engage us emotionally. Number seven, what on this list do I give most energy effort, or time to? Which of these do I sacrifice the most for? Because an idol always wants more of you. And number eight, this one's a little different. The people who know me best would say, these are what I value. This is what I rely on and focus on most in life. Because sometimes, friends, other people can see our idols more clearly than we can see them ourselves. What would your closest friends or family members say defines you on this list? All right, now as we continue with the message this morning, I want you to keep those things in, in mind because I'm calling this message Eye to Eye with Our Idols. I was really proud of that title. <laughs> eye to Eye with Our Idols. And, and we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Today's passage is one of the most famous and well-known sections of the Exodus narrative. It's the story of the golden calf. Many in here have heard this before. And maybe the best way to describe this story is that it's a tragic comedy. It's what we call in our world a dramedy. 
Pastor Dave Lomas, who really helped me sort through a number of my thoughts this week as I prepared the message, describes a dramedy this way. A mix of lighter and darker material that uses humor to lighten the tension and drama as a way to show the audience that something serious is going on. Friends, our story today fits this description perfectly because there are some funny moments, but ultimately this story is tragic. It's the story of Israel cheating on God on their honeymoon. If we go back to chapter 19 of Exodus, this is what God says to the Israelites. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Friends, this this is like a proposal. This is God saying to Israel, will you be my people? Will you marry me? And then verse 8, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. What's their answer? Their answer is yes. Yes, God, we will marry you. You see, marriage and fidelity, faithfulness, devotion are powerful metaphors the Bible often uses to describe the relationship God has with Israel in the Old Testament and with the church in the New Testament. And then, do you know what comes next in chapter 20? Some of you do. The Ten Commandments are Exodus chapter 20. And you've probably never thought of it this way, but the Ten Commandments actually read like wedding vows. Right? Dearly beloved, you shall have no other gods. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. If so, say, I do. See, God is marrying Israel. He's entering into a covenant relationship with them. And then from chapters 24 to 32, Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai to be with God and get, it, get instructions for the house that they're going to build together. This is like God making plans with his people for their very first apartment. Do you remember your first apartment after you got married? Those of you who are married? Do you remember that first place you lived? So Moses is up on the mountain, the people are down at base camp, and we're told this in Exodus 24, then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. See, this is the honeymoon, and on this 40-day honeymoon, right after the marriage, Israel will cheat on the Lord. So this morning, we're going to ask a few questions about that. We're going to ask, why do they do it? What do they do? What do they actually do? And how do we avoid it? Why do they do it? What do they do? And how do we avoid it? Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Right away, friends, in this story, we're told the reason, the driving force behind why the Israelites do what they do, the driving force behind their sin and their temptation into idolatry. Did you hear what it is? 
Waiting. Waiting is the answer. Moses is taking too long. He went up on the mountain 40 days ago, and it looks real scary up there, so who knows what's happened to him, and maybe he's never coming back. Now, on one hand, this is kind of a funny thing, because if you've been tracking the story, you understand that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. And then... There were the 10 plagues, the Red Sea crossing, there was manna and quail from heaven, and now they can't even wait 40 days. But also, I believe this passage is showing us a very real and significant dynamic in our lives, in their lives and in our lives. Waiting on God can be extremely difficult. That it's a very sincere and real struggle that most of us have already experienced in our lives and will certainly experience again. Friends, hear me. When you have a deep desire, when you have a need in your life, a longing in your heart, and you are asked to wait and you have been waiting This is when temptation will often come. Temptation to veer from God, from his plan, from his path. Temptation towards something easier, something quicker, something that offers more immediate gratification, something that soothes or numbs or seems to satisfy, something that just makes us feel good or safe or secure now. Because you know what waiting does? Waiting makes me worry. Waiting makes me start to wonder. Waiting raises anxiety and insecurity in me. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've been in a situation where the results you wanted or the plans you had or the dreams that you were promised seemed to be put on hold and you found yourself having to wait You found yourself waiting on acceptance or affirmation from a parent. Anyone ever waited a real long time for that? You found yourself waiting on finding a spouse. You found yourself waiting on vulnerability or intimacy in your marriage that you longed for and that you thought was going to happen. You found yourself waiting on getting into that school or that program. You found yourself waiting on achieving the success you assumed you'd have. You found yourself waiting on having children. You found yourself waiting on reconciliation from hurt or pain in a relationship. You found yourself waiting on an apology You found yourself waiting on things to change or on someone to change. You found yourself waiting on healing that you've prayed for time and time again and it's taking longer than expected and maybe it will never even happen the way that you want it to happen. You see, friends, what we learn in this story is that waiting is often the soil in which idols love to grow. Why do they do it? Why do they cheat on God on their honeymoon? Because they're tired of waiting. So what do they do? 
When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Verse two, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing. I think that was always a funny moment. Like, didn't you think that guys didn't start to wear earrings until like three decades ago? Like, we thought we were the first culture where guys wore earrings. Remember when it started happening and the church got all judgmental? It's right in the Bible. Like, the, the Israelites are doing it. Anyway, that's a whole nother message. <laughs> I'm not necessarily advocating for or against it. I'm just pointing it out. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, this is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. I don't know what revelry is, but it doesn't sound good. Now, one of the things we know um, is that these sorts of idols, these statues to other gods, were all over the ancient world, particularly they were in Egypt. In fact, this is the god Apis, he is, he is one of the most popular gods of Egypt. He was the god of strength and fertility and power. And as you can see, he is a bull. Why? Why is he a bull? Because bulls are strong, right? Bulls are powerful and ferocious. Anyone here ever been around a bull? When I was in college, my roommate, my roommate for all four years of college, was a kid from western Nebraska. He grew up on a cattle ranch. Every spring, we would go out to western Nebraska, to Curtis, Nebraska. Look it up on a map. Talk about middle of nowhere, right? Not a one-stoplight town, a no-stoplight town. So we'd go out there. We'd work the ranch. Um, his mom would cook us up steaks that were, oh, if you're a steak person, this is as good as it gets. Anyway, we'd go out. We'd work the cattle for a long weekend in the spring. And I remember one year we were out there, and um, we were kind of moving to a new task, and I kind of climbed through this gate, kind of thinking well, this is where we were headed, and all of a sudden my roommate said, to Justin, he says to me, um, you might want to come back over here. I said, what? He said, you might want to slide back over here right now. I said, why? And then he just kind of goes, and I look up, and about 20, 30 feet away from me is this enormous bull just staring at me like, I'm going to kill you, right? I climbed back out real quick um, because I felt real small in that moment. I'm a big guy and I was small compared to that animal, friends. Bulls are powerful. But you'll notice this. Israel doesn't make a bull, do they? What do they make? They make a calf. A little baby cow. A cutesy-wootsy little idol, right? <laughs> Something that's real safe, cozy, and cuddly. Friends, don't miss this point. In the midst of waiting, there will always be temptation to domesticate God. To fashion him into something that feels more 
comfortable to you. Because God, sometimes God, he requires too much patience. He requires too much faith. He requires too much trust. He is a little risky. God can sometimes be a bit wild and untamed and unpredictable for me. I can't control him. He's not on my timeline. He doesn't always have my same priorities. You see, when you really want something, not just kind of want something, but when you really want something, when you're desperate for something, longing for something, extremely tempted by something, there will always be this temptation to fashion God into a cheap substitute of who he really is. But friends, the God you can manufacture and manage can never save you, can never challenge you, can never tell you no. And I'm sure you're thinking, I've never made a golden calf in my life. I'm sure you haven't. I'm sure no one in here has ever fashioned a golden calf, either on purpose or on accident, put it up in your home and started to worship. And yet, and yet, all of us in here have been tempted to make God a little bit more palatable for us. Certainly in times of temptation. And to do this, you have to rationalize and make excuses. To do this, you have to twist or ignore scripture. To do this, you will say things like, well, I believe that what Jesus really wants for me is, by the way, anytime you hear somebody say that, it's like, this isn't in my notes, this is extra today. It's a snow day, right? We can just have fun. Anytime you hear somebody say, what I think Jesus really says, or what I think Jesus really wants for me, and you can tell they're just about to take the Bible and sort of set it aside, that's code word for, I really want this idol. Friends, behind every idol are always rationalizations and excuses. You ever listen to somebody talk about their addiction? When, when they haven't like really owned it yet? Have you ever heard somebody talk about like why they do it? Why they drink wine every single night? Well, there's new studies out that's really good for you. Right? Why they, why they decided it's okay to smoke pot? Why they, why they like think it's alright to watch Netflix for hours on end every single day or dabble in pornography occasionally? You ever heard people talk about the reason that they are sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend? Why they just had to move in? Or why they don't think they need to tithe to the church? Ooh. Or how come it is they work so much or work out so much or spend so much time on social media or obsess about their kids? Oh, they've got reasons. They've got a well-thought-out rationale, don't they? Friends, if idols grow in the, so- in the soil of having to wait for God's plans, then they are nourished by the fertilizer of rationalization. Listen to Aaron. Listen to Aaron, because sometimes he sounds like me, and maybe he sounds like you. Moses comes down from the mountain to find the Israelites worshiping this idol, and he is ticked. I thought about using a different word there, but I just, you know, self-control. I used up all my confession at the basketball game last night. Listen, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses, 
who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I told you this was a dramedy, right? Do you remember how it actually went down? He fashioned it with a tool. I don't know, Lord. Gold in, idol out. Like, oh, I don't know. Like, this is sounding a lot like my teenage kids at times, right? Sorry, teenage kids. I love you. They're watching online. They're like, Dad, throw us under the bus. I'll hear about that later. Okay. Friends, idols love excuses. Idols love it when we rationalize away what God wants for us and embrace a cheaper version Let me ask, is there a place where you are feeding an idol in your life through rationalization these days? Where you're sidestepping God's way for a quicker, easier fix and you're making excuses to do so? If so, I want to close our time today by talking about how. How do we avoid idols? How do we not become like the Israelites how do we turn away from them when, they, when they're tempting us or when they've begun to trap us? And to answer this question, I have four R words for you today. Four R words as we close. Don't panic. They're going to be quick. The first one's this. Recognize. You better recognize. Friends, we must be aware of the specific idols that are alluring to us. This is why we took that quiz at the beginning of this message. Not just so that you could say, this is an idol in my life, but that so you could also think to yourself, this could be an idol in my life. This could easily become an idol to me. This one is tempting to me. See, not everything on that list will be tempting to you. It might be tempting to someone else, but something on that list is tempting to you. Do you know yourself? Do you know how God has wired you up, your unique personality, your unique temptations? Do you know where you're susceptible? If you don't, ask your friends, ask your family members. They will help you discern this. Here's the second R. Realize. We must realize not just what our idols are, but how destructive our idols are. We won't get into this today, But in this story, people die. When you read this story later, it'll raise some questions for you. But don't miss this. Idolatry will seem to give you life, but will always rob you of life in the end. Idolatry will seem to give you life. For a little while, it'll feel real good. It'll feel real satisfying. You'll feel maybe even better about yourself. You will be lifted I've said this before, but one of my favorite country songs, it's funny how fallen feels like flying for a little while. It's what idols do. Idolatry will seem to give you life, but will always rob you of life in the end. I say this today because some of you in here will disregard this message. The Holy Spirit has already brought an idol into your mind this morning, and you've already rationalized it away. I'm not even done preaching yet and you've already excused, excused, rationalized and it's gone. You put it on the shelf. You've already determined that you are going to ignore it. And I'm telling you, you may not die from that idol but it will rob you of the abundant life that Jesus wants to offer you. Be not deceived. 
You know, there's a strange moment in this story when Moses comes down the mountain. He's all angry. He's furious. And it says this. He took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. That's a weird thing, isn't it? Like, he's like, that's a bit of an overreaction, Moses. But Moses knows this. He knows what this idol means. He knows where this idol will lead his people. He knows how destructive it will be. And part of the reason I think he makes them drink it is because he's saying, drink this idol into your body and see if it will satisfy you at all. It won't. It may satisfy externally for a little bit, but it will not satisfy the deepest parts of your soul. Friends, we must realize the robbing, destructive power of idols. Here's the next R for how we avoid idols in our lives. Responsibility. Responsibility. Fight the urge to rationalize your idols into a place of power in your life. See, the longer you rationalize, the longer you let them live, the more power and control and and grasp and hold of you they have. You sense some urgency in me this morning because I know that some idols in here are just taking hold. And this morning, you could kill them. You could ground them up into powder and throw them in the water and get rid of them in your life. But some of you are going to let them linger and then they're going to grab you and they're going to hold you and they're going to lead to destruction. And you think, man, this, this guy is way over the top today. And yet some in here know what I'm talking about. Amen? Larry and Judy? Not because they've been on this, but because they've seen this and they've worked with people. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you guys out. I just, I really love you and I just appreciate you both. Anyway, don't misconstrue that. Okay. Fight for the urge to rationalize your idols into a place of power in your life. I've already talked about Aaron and his kind of lack of willingness to, to do this. But Moses, if you read this whole chapter, which I hope you will do later, over and over again, he just owns it. God kind of blames him at one point, like, your people did this. And you would think, like, if it was me, if I was Moses, I'm just telling you, I'd be like, I didn't do it, Lord, it was these people. <laughs> like, I wasn't even there. I was on the mountain with you, you know? You know. That's not what he does. He, like, associates with them and pleads for them. Listen to this from verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold or a god of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And he just owns this thing. He just acknowledges it. He doesn't complain. He doesn't make excuses. He said, this, is, this happened, God, and here is where we are. Just acknowledges the truth of the situation. And yes, friends, there will be some consequences from this idol in the Israelites' lives. But ultimately, I think because of Moses' willingness to own it, they are allowed to move forward with God. You can move forward with God. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, that idol's already in my life. It's on the screen and I'm thinking about it and it's already taken root. Friends, it is not too late. It is never too late with God. Just own it. Just name it. Where are you at with it today? And that leads to our final R, respond. We must respond when the Holy Spirit offers challenges and conviction in our lives. 
You see, friends, here's what we do sometimes as Christians, especially like church-going people, because this is so normal, because preaching and communion and all the religious stuff we do, it just becomes normal, and it kind of becomes white noise. Don't pay attention to the band. Pay attention to me right now. It just becomes white noise. And just sort of, eh, right? we just tend to do it, and I went to church, and now what should we get? Should we get Jersey Mike's or Chipotle or just go home? Is there something in the fridge? Like, I know how it goes. I know how it goes. And we train ourselves, listen, we train ourselves to ignore the Holy Spirit, to tune him out. And what happens when we do that in little ways over and over and over again is that we build apathy into our lives. We develop this sort of immunity and we inoculate ourselves from hearing God's voice and being led by God. But when we do the opposite, and here's the power, when we respond to God's nudgings and his promptings, when we determine that we will take even just real tiny, teeny little steps of faith when he asks us to, when we learn to hear his voice, that's when we learn to walk in step with the Spirit, friends. When we respond to what God says to us, that is when we invite God's power to grow in us and to be more and more at work in our lives. And so this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond. This is, this is going to be the easiest moment of response ever, but it's just a little thing, and it may seem insignificant, but it is not insignificant. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're willing today, I invite you just to close your eyes and to posture yourself just to hear from God and to speak to God. Maybe that's open, open hands in your lap. Maybe it's your hands folded. Maybe it's your hands kind of lifted a little. But just posture yourself. Say, Lord, I want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. I don't want to tune you out. I'm going to give you a chance to respond in one of three ways. I'm going to ask, are you tired today? Or are you tempted today? Or have you taken a step into sin? Have you taken a step towards idolatry? First, are you tired? Are you weary in life? Pastor Luke Emery, our middle school pastor this week, he said something in a staff meeting that just struck me. He said, when we're tired, when fatigue is in our lives, emotionally or spiritually or even physically, it leaves us open to the attack of temptation. Just recognize, where are you? Are you tired today? If that's you, if you're tired, if you just said, that is me, I'm vulnerable right now. Would you just, just, with everyone's eyes still closed, just throw your hand up in the air real quick, just by way of just acknowledging, that's me. Good, put it down. By the way, I'm not up here taking notes. I'm not gonna, it's just really for you to take a step of faith with Jesus. Second, are you tempted? Are you tempted? Are you at a place where one of those idols on the list or maybe even something more specific is tempting you, is calling you, is luring you, maybe even tempting you again towards going back to it or turning to it, 
giving it more time or attention or weight in your life than it deserves? Are you tempted towards something specific right now in your life? Is temptation a really real thing? Is there an idol looming for you? If that's you this morning, same thing, just throw your hand up. Finally, have you taken a step into sin? Have you, have you taken a step towards that idol? Have you actually like not just been tempted, but, but engaged that idol in the way that it's now challenging God in your life? Maybe that, that reality is a day old or a week old or a month old. Maybe that reality we're talking about is a year or even a decade old. But there's an idol and all morning you've been thinking, that's my idol. And you've been battling and wrestling and thinking about the reasons and excuses. And the freedom of the Holy Spirit is just to say, just acknowledge it before me. God, your heavenly father is the safest place to share your sins. Friends, if you have taken that step towards an idol in your life, would you just throw your hand again? up as a way of saying, Lord, I need help here. Here's what it says in the New Testament in the book of 1 John. I love this verse. I grew up on on this verse. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Today, friends, some of you have taken a step towards saying, God, I need your help. I need you to purify me, not just forgive me, but give me the power and the strength to move towards righteousness because that's the promise of our God. That's the good news of Jesus, not just that we're forgiven of our sins someday to go to heaven, but that he he offers us power and strength to battle our sins and the temptations and the idols in our lives. That's what you're offered this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. And and the song we'll sing is a song called Battle Belongs to the Lord. And ultimately it's just a way of saying, God, I can't fight this idol on on my own. I need you. I need your grace and your strength and your presence with me. And I'm inviting you to do it. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond and worship this morning. Father, Father, thank you for being such a loving and kind Father, for being so safe, so compassionate, so full of mercy, Lord. Just picture the image of the, of the prodigal son coming home and just wrapping your arms around him, Lord. I know that that's what you do when we turn from our sin. No matter how deep we are in, you say, yeah. It's never too late with me. So thank you, Father, for being that kind of God. I pray this morning for anyone who's tired or tempted or engaged with an idol today, that you'd meet them in that place. That your hope, that your hope would feel so much bigger than the shame and condemnation that the enemy wants to throw at them. And that by your hope and grace and mercy, they will find power to walk in freedom. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.